Hello, and once again, Robert Nauer, Unfiltered. And this time, I'm going to be talking about an old story, a true story, about ethics, procurement integrity training in the federal government, and a guy by the name of Jim. Now, Jim's not his real name, nor will I use his last name. I'm just going to call him Jim, just because he was the main character in this fateful decision that he had made that nearly sent him to prison. And with everything that we see in the news today, with Donald Trump stealing classified documents, lying, making up untruths, we see federal employees, state and local employees lying uh, under oath and not under oath to police and federal agents. There's just a ton of things that can go wrong and get you put in jail for a long time. One of them is a federal statute by, entitled rather, 18 U.S.C. 1001, which deals with lying or making false disclosures to federal agents. Now, ethics and procurement integrity are very important things in the federal government. All federal employees have to sign annually their ethics training that they know and understand the rules. Those who are involved in federal procurement, CORs, contracting officer representatives and contracting specialists and contracting officers, program managers, etc., all have to know and understand the rules about procurement integrity. And just what is it? Well, it seems like the problem is that just too many people, both at the federal, state, and local level, tend to think that they know what this is all about, but they really don't. And the fact is because they don't know the rules or they don't remember the rules. And not knowing the rules will get anybody into really big trouble and ruin your lives. David Safavian, the former head of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy in Washington, D.C. for the federal government, um, David was an attorney, and I actually met him a couple times when I was on the competitive sourcing uh, group. And David ended up going to federal prison for making a false disclosure, basically lying to a inspector general uh, investigator and to an FBI agent. And those are just really bad things to do because just by doing so, you have committed a felony. Now, I used to teach ethics, standards of conduct, procurement integrity, as just one of the many subjects that I taught in the federal courses dealing with procurement. Uh, and at the same time, while I was teaching these courses to federal, state, and local employees, and had been doing so, had been doing so rather, uh, through my retirement with the government, I teach ethics, and I taught ethics, not just to make money, but but because I truly believed in it. It's absolutely essential in government to have ethical people. Oh, and Donald Trump definitely isn't one of those. Anyway, I was once a whistleblower in 1983, and that whistleblowing incident, to tell the truth, changed my life and the lives of others, including my wife, basically forever. It altered our lives. And I have also, over the years, been involved in saving the career of a retired naval commander uh, who was in dire straits of breaking uh, the law, federal law, and I've helped others that are too afraid to blow the whistle or to call the government hotline 
or to even go to the OIG to report any wrongdoing. There are ways that it can be done. So what I have seen over the last 30 years makes it clear to me that somebody has to tell the truth to government employees and not just the typical bullshit garbage that Office of Inspector General and other government ethics attorneys tend to talk about or talk down to government employees about. And with everything that we see in the news today, with Donald Trump stealing classified documents, lying, making up untruths, we see federal employees, state and local employees lying uh, under oath and not under oath to police and federal agents. Uh, There's just a ton of things that can go wrong and get you put in jail for a long time. One of them is a federal statute by, entitled rather, 18 U.S.C. 1001, which deals with lying or making false disclosures to federal agents. Now, ethics and procurement integrity are very important things in the federal government. All federal employees have to sign annually their ethics training, know and understand the rules. Those who are involved in federal procurement, CORs, contracting officer representatives and contracting specialists and contracting officers, program managers, etc., all have to know and understand the rules about procurement integrity. Just what is it? Well, it seems like the problem is that just too many people, both at the federal, state, and local level, tend to think that they know what this is all about, but they really don't. And the fact is because they don't know the rules, or they don't remember the rules. And not knowing the rules will get anybody into really big trouble and ruin your lives. David Safavian, the former head of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy in Washington, D.C. for the federal government, um, David was an attorney, and I actually met him a couple times when I was on the competitive sourcing uh, group. David ended up going to federal prison for making a false disclosure, basically lying to an inspector general. I was once a whistleblower in 1983, and that whistleblowing incident, to tell the truth, changed my life and the lives of others, including my wife, basically forever. It altered our lives. And I have also, over the years, been involved in saving the career of a retired naval commander who was in dire straits of breaking uh, the law, federal law. And I've helped others that are too afraid to blow the whistle or to call the government hotline or to even go to the OIG to report any wrongdoing. So what I have seen over the last 30 years makes it clear to me that somebody has to tell the truth to government employees and not just the typical bullshit garbage that Office of Inspector General and other government ethics attorneys tend to talk about or talk down to government employees about. The federal agency ethics attorneys tend to talk down to government employees during the required annual ethics training that they are required to give each year. And it's extremely boring. One, because they always point out stupid, useless cases that are generally never applicable to anybody, and they act like pompous assholes that think they know everything, and they really don't. And I have really gone head-to-head in the past with some agency attorneys 
to make them look like jackasses because they don't know their jobs. But the fact is that ethics can be a fun topic with a good speaker and somebody who knows the ins and outs of ethics. Uh, and somebody like me who's actually been involved with the law, ethics, and whistleblowing. And it is never interesting, it is never interesting to sit down and listen to some old, boring government attorney coot that has never lived life, knows little about the real world that exists. And that is why 99.9% .9 of all government employees are bored to tears annually when they have to receive their mandatory bullshit, mandatory ethics training. And it goes in one ear and out the other. Whereas when I have taught things, people have really listened and gotten involved. For example, recently, um, and I say recently, back in 2007, I was teaching a contracting officer te uh, representative course at the National Institute of Health, and it was a basic class for CORs, and I was teaching to a group of mid-level federal employees and uniformed service health personnel, which are look like military officers, and technically they are, but they're they actually look like Navy officers, but they're not. They're they're medical. And when I was cover, covering a required ethics and procurement integrity section in my course, I had several employees come and tell me that uh, they too had been whistleblowers in the past, and they suffered the consequences of doing so. One even came back from a luncheon uh, during the day that was put on by a drug manufacturer at NIH that had actually given out free DVD players valued at $199 on the retail market. And along with the DVD player that they gave to all the luncheon attendees, it had a disc in it, provided all the information about the drugs their company sold. And that's kind of how they tried to get around it. But the fact is, that drug company that was passing out free DVD players, what we call gratuities, for free, was a federal violation. And for any federal employee to also receive any gift over $20, uh, and these DVD players were about 199 at the time, was also another federal violation that could get anybody fired or on suspension for accepting such a gratuity. So the officer in question who took, uh, decided rather not to take the goodies that was given out to all the other attendees, he said he did so. He didn't take it because I had put the fear of God in him during the class about taking illegal gratuities uh, from what we refer to in the federal government as a prohibited source. And that's basically anybody that you're currently doing business with because it becomes a conflict of interest. So I find it interesting that uh, it was my class talk that actually sank into this guy and made a difference just to one federal employee. And I wondered to myself back then, I said, if those other attendees that he told me about had realized just how damning their actions were by merely taking that free DVD player uh, that was valued at $199 on the open market, uh, even though it had the drug manufacturer's logo on it, who cared? They could have been terminated for that. So I'm, I'm sure that many ethics attorneys preaching ethics today simply do not stress enough the hardships that can come along with breaking ethics rules and um, taking uh, improper gratuities. So my teachings and the way I do it has always impacted people in the past, uh, and that's a good thing.
Now, here's the other funny thing about that class I was teaching at NIH to the CORs, the contract, contracting officer representatives. Six months after I taught that class at NIH in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, and I had given all the employees my personal phone number out if they ever had questions they could call me. I actually had one of the employees that attended call me at home early one morning. It was like 7.30 in the morning, and he was nearly in tears. Now, I'm not going to use his name. I'm just going to call him Jim, and I'm not going to talk about the actual real situation as much because it'll give people an idea who he might have been and what agency he worked with at NIH. Uh, but I do so to shed light on his personal trauma and the, and the case and the need for ethics because knowledge is the key that hits home. So I'm going to call this employee that called me Jim. Now, Jim was the equivalent of a GS-13 at the time. He was a lieutenant, uh, an O3, in the U.S. Public Health Service. And that's the equivalent of a GS-13 in civil service. And uh, he had been appointed as a program officer right out of college with the U.S. Public Health Service. Uh, and he had only been on the job for about a year and a half to two years. So Jim knew absolutely nothing about the federal government contracting rules and regulations, and yet his agency made him responsible for acting as a contracting officer's representative without the required mandatory training. Uh, this was an egregious insult to not only Jim, but to any employee who would make a person a COR without the proper training. And however, had Jim received the required mandatory training, as he should have, the likelihood of him getting in trouble would have been diminished. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have gotten in trouble, but it certainly would have been diminished, and maybe he wouldn't have done the stupid things that he did. Now remember, Jim called me early in the morning, uh, and it was a weekday, uh, at around 7.30 a.m. in the morning at my house in Woodbridge, Virginia. And he told me that he remembered my talks about ethics, the rules, 18 U.S.C. statutes, OIG issues, and how to deal with federal investigators in trouble, troubling situations. And I went into detail with all of those topics in the class. And he told me, he said, he said he felt he was in serious trouble and that federal investigators had or were going to be referring certain actions that he had taken while under supervision of his senior GS-15 boss, who was probably corrupt. Uh, everybody seems to believe he was. Uh, they were going to refer his actions to the Department of Justice in a, refer a criminal referral to take further action against Jim, the lieutenant. Well, Jim was absolutely terrified, and I could hear this terror in his voice, and he was very scared. He was also crying on the phone. Now, i got to tell you, to hear a man cry on the phone early in the morning is something that will just rip your heart out. So let me say this, too. Um, I had gotten to know Jim, his demeanor, his intelligence, his kindness, and this is certainly not the kind of person that would knowingly break the law. 
And yet, Jim had put himself and his family in deep, deep trouble by the actions that he took while he was on the job. And, and one of the things that he did was he spoke directly to the uh, OIG investigators without having an attorney present. And that was a very bad thing to do. Well, for security's sake, um, I'm going to try to change the story just a tad bit so as not to shed light on his agency or any person in it, though most of them have probably transferred out by now. But I want to demonstrate just how easy it can be for a novice program manager, COR, like Jim, to get into real trouble with the Department of Justice and be indicted and even go to prison for um, stupid things that he did that could cost him, and did in fact cost him, thousands of dollars. In fact, the total amount that Jim had to pay out of pocket for legal fees was, I believe, $120,000. The expense of a criminal attorney, of hiring a, a subcontracted subject matter expert, attorney, polygraphs, and the literal stress on his family and marriage was tremendous. And if you think I joke, uh, I don't. Now, I had talked previously about poor David Safavian, who was another example of what can happen when you misspeak, say things that may or may not be true, and you're represented without an attorney being present. Well, he ended up nearly bankrupt. He did go to federal prison because he ended up making misstatements to a FBI agent and GSA investigator about expenses that he incurred on a trip with Jack Abramoff, who also went to prison. And because the, the feds wrote him up on a 302B card, and, and what he said could be purported to be a lie. So that's the thing that they indicted him on. And he was found guilty by a jury, and, he, and David Safavian, uh, his name was David Hussein Safavian, did go to federal prison for lying under 18 U.S.C. 1001. That was not going to be the case, per se, for Jim. Jim had ethics issues. So let me tell you now what Jim may have done and what he did not do correctly. And then let me tell you what the likely outcome uh, would have normally been for Jim. But Jim, Jim had some angels overseeing him, and Jim had some misfortunes with the Department of Justice and uh, attorneys that because of, well, what would I say? Because of the Hurricane Katrina, <laughs> believe it or not, that had an impact with the Department of Justice needing attorneys, and they're being so strapped for attorneys to prosecute fraud cases that they kept changing prosecutors on Jim until eventually they finally just gave up. But Anyway, let's go on with his case. So Jim stated that when he was newly assigned to his NIH agency to a contract, and it was a building contract to build a building, and he was assigned to the vendor to oversee, he told me he had received no procurement training at all, at least not until over a year later when he finally took my class. He was all along during that time approving invoices and interfacing with a vendor who may or may not have been corrupt. I believe he was. Jim really didn't understand contractual terms and conditions 
as specified in the contract. And for God's sakes, I don't even think he really had ever read the contract. Now, how crazy is that? Anyway, Jim stated that about one year into the contract, he had received an email from the vendor, the builder, asking him to approve payment of monies on the contract that, were, in fact, were not in accordance with the terms and conditions of the contract as Jim perceived it. So instead of doing what a smart, intelligent person would do, documenting that email and following it up with another written document or email and keeping a copy of said emails or documents, he should have said no to the vendor. It's not in the contract. But instead, what Jim did, he met with the vendor's project officer to tell the vendor personally that his request was clearly out of line. And he did all this verbally, just verbally, and he didn't think that it was right that he could not approve that invoice, even though the vendor wanted it paid. Jim also kept no record of that conversation. He did not keep a memo for the record of the conversation. And then Jim made the stupid mistake of going to his supervisor, which it turns out later, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the OIG at NIH believed was corrupted and was being bribed by the uh, vendor and had an ongoing relationship with the vendor for a number of years. And he, and he went to his boss and said, told him about the case where the vendor wanted money for work that was not specified in the contract. So when Jim informed his supposedly corrupt supervisor, the GS-15, about the request by the vendor, which was the friend of the supervisor, for more money to, to fund the invoice for work that had not actually been performed, and that's also a criminal offense. Uh, his boss, according to Jim, said, Jim, you leave it up to me to handle this matter. So he did. And later, Jim found out that his boss had, in fact, approved the illegitimate invoice payments to keep that vendor happy. So Jim let it slide and did not bring this issue up with his supervisor ever again. And he didn't document it. And he told me, as his instructor, that he was scared and intimidated by his senior supervisor. And being a new employee, a new lieutenant, he knew that if he raised a stir about it, his military U.S. public health service career might suffer. So several weeks later, after uh, several weeks later, the OIG came to actually see Jim at his office, and Jim was baffled. Evidently, someone had in his office had blown the whistle on Jim's boss and the vendor. And Jim sat down with the OIG investigator, who had come to see him after being informed of his rights you know, raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, under penalty of perjury. And Jim spilled his guts on what he truly stated he knew about the entire situation. And he did this without an attorney being present, which you should never do. So from my perspective, as not only a professor and a contracting officer and an ethics guy, and having been involved with the OIG several times myself over the course of my career, that was Jim's very first big mistake, ever talking to the investigator without an attorney being present to advise him, which is his right. Unfortunately, 
here's the rub. As a federal employee under federal law, as opposed to a regular civilian, you do not have the luxury of refusing to speak with the OIG about any case that they are investigating. And if you do, they will simply refer your case, excuse me, to the HR department and have you terminated on the spot. Now, that doesn't occur with somebody like Martha Stewart or somebody else that's not a federal employee. But in the, if you're a federal employee like I was, if you flat out refuse to cooperate, they will simply say, great, you're terminated. And they will refer you to HR and you'll get your termination and you'll be escorted out of the building and thus your career ends. So again, Jim was very intimidated. He was like a naive little sheep. But from a legal standpoint, Jim uh, probably and unfortunately said far, far too much during that initial interview with the OIG. And the facts that he stated may or may not have been true. Again, why he needed the presence of an attorney. And the problem is 99.9% of all employees don't know this. And they should know this because it'll help them from possibly being indicted. But the OIG wants it to keep it that way. They want you to be ignorant. They want you to not know your rights. And, and that's the double-edged sword. And that's why most ethics attorneys who've worked for federal agencies, they don't even tell employees that. And I remember one day at the Department of Transportation, we were getting these bullshit ethics annual briefings. It, the attorney was pontificating about all this. And I stood up and I said, sir, I can't listen to your bullshit anymore. The fact is you are incorrect. I said, any federal employee has the right, if they're being investigated, to have an attorney present. Yes, you are correct. They cannot refuse to cooperate with OIG, but they are entitled, when they're being interviewed, to have an attorney present, and you haven't fucking told them that. So you are wrong, you are remiss, and you, sir, are a bad attorney. And I got a standing ovation for that. And there were like 300 employees in the DOT auditorium at the time. And he was, he was pissed off because I had called him out on it. Anyway, that's a true story. Anyway, uh, going on with Jim's story. So as an employee like Jim, he could not refuse to cooperate, but he could have at least refused until he had an attorney present. And again, 99.9% .9 of all federal employees, state employees, and city employees don't know these things. Whereas a civilian like Martha Stewart or somebody, they could say, hey, I'm just not going to talk to you until I have an attorney present. So what Jim didn't know was that his career was, in fact, probably going to suffer because of his actions, his misstatements and statements he made to the OIG during the initial interview. Now, I've written a number of articles in the past, and I've done a couple videos on YouTube about how... Uh, what government employees need to know to avoid going to jail under 18 U.S.C. 1001 when talking to police or federal agents. So Jim just simply didn't know that when he was being interviewed by the OIG that his life was actually going to change and go down the road into the shits. Uh, so finally, after they had had this initial investig investigatory interview with Jim about a month or so later, and at 8 p.m. in the evening, 
the uh, OIG federal investigators came back to Jim's house and knocked on his door, and they presented Jim with what's known as a letter of referral. And a letter of referral is a letter sent by the agency, investigators, to the Department of Justice so they can decide whether to indict him for a crime or not. And that's how the DOJ works. And it's the same kind of thing they're thinking about with Donald Trump. He broke, he committed a crime, he took classified documents he knew he shouldn't have do. He signed under penalty of perjury when he became president that he knew and understood all the ethics rules and rules about classified documents. And so basically, it's a slam dunk. If they want to refer an indictment against him, they can definitely do it, and Donald Trump will go to jail. because And, and any lies that he does will be prosecuted under 18 U.S.C. 1001, which will also guarantee him time in prison. Now, Jim stated when the federal agents came to his door a month later at in the evening, and that's always a scary thing. What are these federal agents doing on my doorstep in the evening when it's dark and my children are inside with my wife and all that? It's a very stressful situation. So Jim stated, guys, I didn't do anything wrong, and I didn't approve those false invoices, but maybe they suspected Jim's boss. In fact, they did. And the fact, and he says, the fact that I knew, well, Maybe that's what they're trying to get at my boss through me. Don't you think, Bob? And he was speaking to me. And I said, exactly. That I said, you didn't do really anything wrong. You went and talked to your boss, which you shouldn't have done. You should have acted as the CR and told the contractor, no, you're not going to get paid for something that's not in the contract. And some of the statements you made might just be what they documented that's going to get you charged with 18 U.S.C. 1001. So I told Jim that it's a good possibility that you will never know for a fact whether they really want you or they want your boss. But what generally happens, and I told Jim, was that federal prosecutors, if they don't really want you, they will try to make an example out of you to scare the living shit out of you and give you great amounts of stress so that they can squeeze you to find out if you really do know anything about what your boss is doing or the vendor. And the fact is, in Jim's case, he knew nothing. He knew only what he knew uh, and he knew it wasn't right, and he admitted to that under oath. But they didn't want Jim. They wanted his boss, and they wanted the vendor. But here's what savvy criminals do. Savvy criminals never make phone calls. They never put anything in writing so that nothing can ever be held against them. And they were never able to get any of the goods on Jim's boss. So Jim spent over three and a half years paying for a criminal defense attorney out of Maryland to represent him in multiple, multiple meetings with the uh, Department, of Department of Justice uh, lawyers and prosecutors. And for the longest time, the, the AUSA was telling Jim that we're going to try to put you in jail for five to ten years for all the crimes that you've committed. And, of course, Jim was stressed out. His family was stressed out. Jim had to go get a second mortgage 
on his house and and borrow money from his parents that he did not have because he was just a, a lowly little lieutenant in the U.S. Public Health Service at the time. And basically, he was a broken man at that point in time. And every time I did talk to him, his story just seemed to get bleaker and bleaker as the time went on because it seemed like there was no end and it seemed like the U.S. prosecutors, the AUSA, was headed towards indicting him and um, and taking him to federal court, and gonna, and they really wanted to put him in prison for five to ten years. Well, the first prosecutor um, had had been called out to work on Hurricane Katrina, so the five or six months or seven months that 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 prosecutor had worked with Jim and his attorney on, uh, he turned over all his records to another female prosecutor in Maryland who also parroted the same thing. I think I'm going to uh, charge you. You need to come forward and tell it, come clean with us and give us all the goods on your boss. Jim didn't have any goods to give them. And that went on for about a year to a year and a half. And they hadn't brought an indictment yet. But in that year and a half, that female prosecutor got pregnant. And by her eighth month of pregnancy, she couldn't deal with Jim's case anymore. So now Jim's case was almost well over a year and a half to almost two years old. And they turned all the records on Jim and his prosecution to another federal prosecutor who then got called up on another fraud case that was de seemingly more important. Finally, out of the clear blue... The federal prosecutor's office in Maryland called Jim's attorney in to give him news that they were not going to prosecute Jim. Well, in the meantime, now understand this, Jim had had tremendous amounts of stress. In fact, his wife could have left him, could have said, I can't take this. And most wives in such situations will divorce their husbands or leave them because they see no future with that person who is under all these legal clouds. Jim's wife was a little bit different, and I, I've seen pictures of her. I've never talked to her. She's a beautiful gal. She seems they have a loving family, great kids. And Jim was just ecstatic when he heard from his attorney that they were not that they were going to drop the case against Jim. And the reason the federal prosecutors said they were not going to prosecute Jim, even though they legally could have, and get this, because they admitted to Jim's attorney that because they couldn't get anything to charge his boss with or the vendor, that they didn't want to prosecute Jim. But he spent three and a half years of legal fees, and he spent 120-some thousand fees paying off his attorney. That's $120,000 that he never had that he will be paying off eh, for a while anyway. Well, the good part is that Jim today is a commander in the public health service, and he's doing very well. He's, his family is very happy, and uh, they're living a normal, happy life. Um, they live somewhere up by Fort Detrick. <coughs> and Jim is just a very lucky, lucky officer because he was able to have something happen to him that generally never, ever happens to anybody else. Normally when the feds want to prosecute you for even the lowest level crime, they're bastards. I know from personal experience 
the federal prosecutors off. They will lie to you. They will manipulate you. They will scare the living shit out of you, unless you're a, a hardened criminal. Um, but the normal average civilian that just happens to fuck up one time, uh, they will make your life a living hell and for your family. Unless you have something that you can give to them, federal prosecutors are not nice people. Even most federal judges, I'm going to tell you, uh, just my own personal experience, there may be some good federal judges. After my experience, I would have to say most federal judges are out for themselves. They don't give a rat's ass about anybody else except themselves and putting people in jail. Now, that's not true of state and local courts and state and local prosecutors. They're not as bad. But I think the word federal, when you say federal prosecutor or federal judge, you better watch out because they're going to get you. So what did Jim learn? And, and I'm going to also tell you that what every federal employee, whether you're a GS4 all the way to a senior executive service level, should know. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass in this case. And you listen to me. And if you don't believe me, you go talk to a good criminal attorney. First and foremost, keep your fucking mouth shut. You understand? Let me say that again. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Number two, get a very good criminal attorney if you are questioned by federal investigators. Number two. Number three, never, ever, ever speak to law enforcement, whether it's a DUI or anything else. Never speak to law enforcement unless you have legal representation. Until then, keep your fucking mouth shut. Next, once you get an attorney, keep your fucking mouth shut. Let your attorney do all the talking for you. Let them bend over and talk to you, but you never say anything to the people across the table. You never say anything to the prosecutors, unless you agree to do that with your attorney present. Number five. Never, ever say anything to your co-workers, which happens to be a natural tendency for all of us. Hey, did you hear what happened? I had federal investigators come to my house last night. Really? Why? Keep your fucking mouth shut. Never talk to your co-workers. No matter how stressed out you are, keep your fucking mouth shut. Number six. Never say anything to your supervisor, even if questioned by your supervisor, because your supervisor does not have a need to know. Let me say it again. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Number seven, let your attorney broker any deal that he can get for you. You are not an attorney. You do not know the law. You do not understand how it works. That's why most criminal defense attorneys are all former state, local, or federal prosecutors. In my experience, I've found most of them are former federal prosecutors. And it's funny that when they go from being a formal federal prosecutor to becoming a criminal defense attorney, they are much better to deal with. Okay, that was number seven. Now, number eight. Oh, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me finish this by saying when I said let your attorney broker any deal he can get for you. If you are not the real target of the investigation, yes, have your attorney negotiate with the feds 
not to charge you? Uh, or should you turn state's evidence against your boss? In Jim's case, he wasn't able to turn state's evidence because he had no evidence. He just had the fuck-ups that he committed himself. So he had nothing to give the feds. They could have still charged him, and he would have gone to prison. He would have gone to prison. Now, why would Jim have gone to prison? Because he did break the law. He did a couple things wrong that he shouldn't have done. And, the, and ignorance is no excuse for the law. Number eight, and this is important too, get a big home loan. Take out a big home equity or second mortgage on your house because, frankly, people, you are going to spend anywhere from $5,000 to $500,000 on a plea deal. And you will spend about 50000 to $1 to $2 million if you have to go to a jury trial to prove your innocence. That assumes that you can approve your innocence. In the case I was involved in, uh, that I've talked about already previously on my podcast, uh, I could not afford a jury trial because a jury trial would have cost me about a half a million to a million dollars. It would have broken me financially. So I had to accept a plea. Isn't it great that justice is equal for everybody? <laughs> Bullshit. If you believe that, you believe in the fucking tooth fairy. Now, just imagine yourself in the same situation that Jim was and that you were so scared. Well, you really should be. The simple fact is, people, that every single day, each and every year in our country, innocent people, good people, are cut up, caught up in the legal snare trap by federal investigators for just trying to do their jobs in the cases where the feds don't really want you, as in the case of Jim. They didn't really want Jim. They wanted his boss. They wanted to get at somebody higher up in the food chain. So federal employees, just like Jim, simply need to understand that investigators and prosecutors are not your friends. Let me repeat that. Federal investigators, prosecutors are not your friends. They don't care what happens to you or your family or how destitute you become. And if they say they do, that's pure bull caca. They have a job to do, one job to do, and they will do that job at all cost. And, and many times, federal prosecutors will do that vindictively. All you have to do is go to Google and read up on the case of David Hussein Safavian, who was the former head of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, and you will clearly see that when you check out all the case file and you read the prosecution and you look at the prosecutorial record and the records from the court, I and I have read it all. And David's a good guy. I know David's a good guy. And David's doing good things today, even though he'll no longer be a lawyer. That was one of the most vindictive prosecutions of anybody that I, in the federal government, that I have ever seen in my entire life. Wow. So, I kind of want to sum this up. When I 
got through talking to Jim about his plight on the phone that one early morning, um, and I, and he asked me what he should do. Jim was truly a broken soul. How broken? Well, I asked him how the feds coming to question him at night with his wife was going to impact his marriage. And people, he told me there was utter silence on the other end of that phone. And Jim, at the time, had no way of knowing that he would be let off the hook. He had no way of knowing that he would not be prosecuted. He really thought he was going to go to federal prison for five to ten years. He was trembling in his voice. Now, I know how that feels, and I can understand him, having gone through a similar situation. As a former, very honest contracting officer, I know exactly what it's like to be accused of wrongdoing by an investigator who is a federal agent. And that's why I always put everything in writing, which Jim did not do. I always kept memos for the record, which Jim did not do. And yes, I get this, I even tape recorded many of the conversations I had on the phone while in my office for years to have a record of it just in case. And yes, it may have been illegal to do so, <laughs> but I did it. So I would always have a verbal record of everything that was said on the telephone. And you should too. Sometimes, as an American citizen, I am, and a former Fed, I am ashamed of our judicial system and how it works like it works today. Especially when I see dedicated Feds just trying to do their jobs to the best of their abilities, and then they still get fucked by their own government. Uh, so what everybody needs is a strong, intense ethics and procurement training. Uh, and slowly they will get it. So for goodness sake, if you are a senior level acquisition manager, program manager in the government, whether it's state or local government, please don't ever have your subordinates do jobs that they haven't been trained for and that they don't understand the ethics rules. That's a horrible thing to do. That's what Jim's boss did to him. And lastly, as a former Fed myself, now retired, and a professor of contract management and ethics, um, when it comes down to you personally or your supervisor, if you know that your supervisor has committed a criminal act and there is even the slightest possibility of your involvement, get an attorney as quickly as possible for $500 to $1,500 to $2,000. And then, with your attorney, jointly go to the inspector's or the inspector general's office and turn your supervisor in and become a witness for the state. You will then be off the hook, but your failure to do what Jim did can you open yourself up to tremendous liabilities. And that's what would have gotten Jim put in prison. He was a 
luckiest guy I think I've ever known in my life. And finally, and prospectively, remember, Jim was not the target of their investigation, but like so many who are in government and who are not rich and who cannot afford a jury trial, you will go broke fighting the system to defend your honor or what you believe it to be. It's not only the indigent and the illegal immigrants that get free representation in America. Well, rather it is. They're the only ones who get free representation. But you sure as shit don't want that from a public defender because they're the worst. So for the most part, most of us, you, me, everybody else, and I know from experience, most of us will have to end up pleading guilty to a lesser charge and wind up with some kind of criminal conviction on our records because you don't have the money to go to trial to prove that you are, in fact, innocent. This is what Americans just don't fucking understand. DOG, DOJ, DOG, DOJ, knows that and uses that as leverage when negotiating with people like you or me or Jim. So now, just for a moment, pause and ask yourself, what would I do if this happened to me? And folks, the fact is, it can happen to you, and it may happen to you someday, and it may ruin your life. But by you knowing what the rules are, never you don't have to incriminate yourself, you don't have to say anything to law enforcement or the prosecutors, you don't have to say anything, and you should never ever say anything without having a criminal attorney present. Say nothing. Utter nothing except your name and your address and your phone number and give them the name of an attorney or you contact the attorney and say, I'll be happy to come in and talk to you with my attorney. And that's it. That doesn't mean that you have to come in and talk to them, but it's a stall tactic. So think of that. Remember that. And God bless you. This is Robert Nauer, Unfiltered, out. <laughs>